1: in, you know, it's time to begin and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Maybe you're in traffic. Maybe you're doing chores, whatever it is. Don't you worry. We're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Untuck It and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada, That's spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host, slash nemesis the guy who just might be a humanoid robot in a pleasure amusement park mr christian spicer hello christian
2: oh no oh no (laughs) that's how that's how they are i've watched all of season one if i remember correctly that's how they all talked uh we blend in we are just like you
1: nailing it (laughs) nailing it uh you are you excited about season
2: two starts tonight I i am very excited about season two the only thing that has me a little less than excited about season two is season twos of hbo shows tend to be my least favorite of of almost Mm. all of them for whatever wasn't the wire (laughs) season two the weird one also um no season two was
1: awesome of the wire which one was the docs Uh, i think there was three or four okay well then my whole theory is out the window (laughs) (laughs) i could be completely wrong it's been a while since i've seen the wire anyway hey before we get into the show i just want to say real quick thank you to everybody i got many 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 tweets and emails uh of people after last week and talking about my weird meme that that went viral uh (laughs) i i didn't mean to throw a pity party but i appreciate everybody's kind words so many people reached out and said kind things in fact one person hear that sound that is a physical letter that i got i got somebody hand wrote a damien Hand wrote me a letter and sent it by U.S. Post. And uh, what a delightful thing to do. He said uh, he thought it would mean more if I got a physical thing. And boy, did it. Um, So thank you, everybody. It was very, very sweet. Um, I'm fine. I appreciate it. Uh, But uh, it was very nice of everybody that reached out. So thank you all. Um, But we're going to have an awesome show this week. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, man, I'm so excited because DLC stands for dice in a large citadel because we've got the co-host of the dice tower my favorite podcast about board games as well as narrator of countless audiobooks mr eric summerer is here with us for the first time welcome eric oh,
0: thank you very much i'm delighted to be here
1: i'm delighted to have you i'm a big fan a fan of your show and uh i i even tried to Slip in a little Citadel reference there for you. Oh yes, um, <laughs> no, I didn't
0: know I was allowed to yell on the program, but I, I I have done it. I actually did it in front of um, Bruno Catala, the designer of Citadels, <laughs> and he had no idea what was going on. And all of a sudden, I'm just Citadel! Yes. <laughs> it was an interesting I love experience. It.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Eric's show is wonderful. You guys should all be listening to the Dice Tower. We had Tom Vassell on, uh, I think, our first year of this show, many years ago. Mm. Um, but it's, it's been too long getting, uh, Eric here. I'm so, so happy to have that happen. And we're going to talk, uh, board games in the tabletop segment, but we're also going to start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story on the week. Story of the week. It's the story. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And uh, lots of fun discussion this week. Some cool folks and really a lot of positivity in there. So I got a shout out for that. Uh, You guys are wonderful. Thank you very much. Uh, But, Eric, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Well,
0: I I think I'm going to go for for maybe the one that that wouldn't necessarily be considered the one you think I'd go for. And that's the story that Campo Santo, this is the, the studio that produced Firewatch, is joining Valve. They're they're sort of becoming part of that that Valve conglomerate, and and I think that's exciting news to get the resources that that they need to uh, to to make stories that are so unique. I loved playing Firewatch; it's one of the things I've been playing lately, and uh, and just such a unique product and a unique point of view for a studio. And another of my absolute favorites, Portal, comes from the Valve machine as well. So putting those two together, big news.
1: I agree. Yeah, this is, a, this is a huge story. We talked, I don't know, several weeks ago now about uh, an interview at Valve uh, where they claimed that they would get back into the making of video games, which they have been sadly uh, sitting out for, for quite a while now. Uh, and it looks like this might be one of the ways in which they're doing it. Just acquire places that are already making video games. We're going to get back into
2: it. And by yeah. get back into we mean by person doing it,
1: done. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I think this is very cool. I mean, certainly uh, Campos Santos's Santos' uh, statement on the subject, they posted a statement on their blog, very, very positive from their perspective. They said that they, in Valve, they found a company that shares their sensibilities, shares their perspective on what is important, not just in games, but in life, which is a pretty cool thing to say. Uh, they said that, um, you know, we, they feel the same way about the work as we do. And then they said, this you may be surprised to learn doesn't happen every day. Uh That's an interesting, I think bit of insight that they really, um, Campo Santo of course has been outspoken politically. They have, uh, I think they make the kinds of games that are really trying to do something different. They're trying to, I think push the industry in an interesting direction and to have support of a, you know, Behemoth financially like Valve I agree with you Eric I think that's really A positive thing mm-hmm. um, I know that we they've been Working on I wish I had the name of their Valley game. of Gods it's, there it is Valley of Gods yeah which it looks really Good it looks like a really interesting follow Up to Firewatch uh, And they said they're still making that and Now it will be published by Valve And they're still going to be able to send out their quarterly review, which they're famous for doing a very transparent studio that talks a lot about the inner workings of of how they're making those games. Mm -hmm. Um, Eric, is there any, do you have any hope of with new resources, they are able to do new things or do you kind of want this to just make them more solvent and uh, ensure a, a long life of doing kind of their thing?
0: I think stability is important. When you have a small studio, a small fledgling studio, you want to make sure that they have the backing they need to be as creative as they can be. Because, you know, taking risks is a financial risk as well. And so you, you want to make sure that they have the backing that they need to to be successful, to take a chance. If if they're so worried about the bottom line, then they maybe would, would be less exciting as a product. Uh, so this is good news to see them being able to do what they're they're supposed to be doing what they're what they're uh, known for what they're building a brand for uh, with the backing of valve it's pretty cool
1: yeah i agree christian i think this shows that valve and i'm not new information but it shows that valve doesn't want to just make uh, what everybody else is making that they are interested in talent that i think is a little more i don't know daring or avant-garde perhaps and uh, do you think that this is we're, we're going to see more other kinds of studios like this align with them? You think they're going to sort of cobble together more ind- independent developers and create um, a larger cadre of of products like this, or or do you think this is a isolated incident?
2: Great question questions uh i don't know is the short answer the longer answer is looking at kind of what gabe or valve has kind of said officially over the past couple of years we have uh, maybe some insight that could if we connect the red twine on our map of what is valve up to um you know and also might be catch the zodiac killer in the process um they just they talked about being envious of Nintendo being able to create their own hardware and, and games that support and work with their cool feature but then we kind of saw steam machines get delisted and not be super successful we, they talked about not giving up on games or game development and getting back into it and then they've now and also announcing their own game before this um their um oh gosh what is the name of that game
1: you mean the uh the the dota card game yeah like their their new announcement whatever it was i can't remember what it's called either and then now
2: they're acquiring campo santo who is you know seemingly far along into development of valley of the gods far enough to show it off so it you know if we take all of that together it seems like maybe this is going to be valve the game publisher game studio 2.0 And I think acquiring these small, high quality studios makes a lot of sense, especially if over the years, you know, we've heard the rumors or or seen, um, others of their game development team leave Valve. And so instead of, if they didn't have that talent internally and they wanted to get back into it, this certainly makes sense. I'm not sure if this plays into their, you know, envious of Nintendo position, if we're going to see them double down on hardware or controllers or anything like that. But I think anytime, Uh, a company that made a game I really loved joins another company who's made several of my favorite games. That has to be a good, we have to be optimistic about that.
1: Right, Jeff? Like that's, that's good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I don't think any of them would express anything other than positivity in the announcement of this, this step. But I do think I do sense a genuine enthusiasm from the Campo Santo team about it. So it it does feel like a, a wholly positive thing. And I, I, I I don't think we'll see any step backward from Campo Sampo. probably the opposite they're probably as Eric mentioned uh you know bolstered by this and allowed to allowed to make the games they want to make and I think that's wonderful to see big companies uh, investing in exciting smaller talent like that. Mm-hmm. It's
2: cool. I'm just bummed cuz I'm probably going to have to download this thing Steam everybody talks about to get this game. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: they do that, you- we finally got a killer app for you. <laughs> oh, oh, just,
2: yeah. For years I've been holding out and now it's finally time. The steam thing, whatever. I, I, why can't right. everything be on origin?
1: <laughs> uh, Christian, what is your uh, story of the week?
2: My goodness. My story of the week. It's uh call of duty. Cod blobs. Can you give me a cod blobs, Jeff?
1: Cod blobs. There we yeah. go.
2: Um, maybe no single player maybe a battle royale maybe a co-op mode that replaces single player and then uh there's a rumor and who knows this seems like and that's all kind of seems like solid rumors that like polygon charlie intel kotaku other various uh sites have all kind of confirmed themselves and then i was reading today as i was flying home there's a rumor that maybe the battle royale mode will come to switch but not the rest of the game but every other console gets everything else um huh weird but the tagline of call of cod blobs 4 is forget what you know and i think they've achieved that already um i i don't know what to expect here but it's kind of exciting not to know what to expect about a call of duty right like this is it's so interesting yes
1: in this way i don't know if is this the way i want to not know i don't know <sighs> i don't know uh eric what do you think about this i i don't know if you are a call of duty player but uh, it's certainly the, the rumor is that no single player for a game that is sort of known for these big, uh, bombastic campaign modes, mm-hmm. um, and they're jumping on that battle royale according to rumors we haven't heard yet. The, the official announcement will happen, I think May 14th is the day that they're, they're announcing it. So this is all speculation at this point, but, um, what do you what do you make of this? Well,
0: I mean, I'm I'm not the the best authority on Call of Duty. I haven't played any of them, but it, it, when I'm facing any of these these style of games, I'm going to be looking specifically for the single player adventure because I don't like playing with other people. I, <laughs>
1: right. I, I want the right. story
0: that I want the cinematic experience. I want the the uh, the adventure. The the. Uh, branching paths, the, the, uh, exploration of, of these sorts of things, the exploring the maps, exploring the, uh, the, the locations and, and working my way through the story at my pace and not trying to compete against other players. Uh, the co op possibility sounds interesting, but the fact that there is no single player has this even further down on my interest list, uh, even though I'm, I'm, it was pretty low to begin with.
1: Yeah, it's a hard thing to say that single-player is going away when you have examples like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and God of War just this week, these big, high-profile, very successful, single-player-only games. And yet, it kind of feels like this is a really... Strong trend that uh, a, a freight train that's that's hitting the entire industry. That the way to make a game lucrative isn't to create a well-crafted single-player story-based campaign. Rather, it is to make something that is perpetual and ongoing, and that is multiplayer. That that is something that you can monetize. But that
2: can I can for we, years? Can we tangent right here, real quick? Because I think sure it is fascinating and. It will Call of Duty, again, these are assumptions upon assumptions, so real stable foundation that we're working with, if Call of Duty does go this rumored multiplayer-only Battle Royale route, do they not come out with a Call of Duty 2019? Are they doing the Overwatch, the um, PUBG, the Fortnite model of, like, this is a platform and we're going to keep building on it? Or are they going to do a whole new one next year?
1: Well, that is, that is a great question, and I think may very well be What where they're headed, especially because according to Polygon, the rumor is that the reason they yanked the single-player storyline out of Black Ops 4 isn't because they made this strategic decision that people weren't into single-player. It's because it just didn't get done in time. Hmm. And rather than delay the release of the game, uh, which, you know, Call of Duty's come out every fall like clockwork, they instead said, well, let's just yank the single-player out and focus on making multiplayer. And if that's the case, then you I would assume at some point you may see this single player added in as maybe DLC content Hmm. or additive content. And then, yeah, that sort of bolsters this idea of it being a platform that you can you can add modules onto as you go. Um, But I feel like that's a much bigger announcement for the Call of Duty franchise than just yanking single player and saying, Oh, you only have to buy it once. And now you're going to, I don't know, pay a subscription fee or pay a yearly, uh, you know, re-up fee or, or whatever they want
2: or whatever. You know, I mean, what, yeah. what was the stat that Fortnite made eight, 21 million? I don't know, millions, millions and millions of dollars on the iOS version in a month. And there's nothing to buy that changes the game, right? It's just a yeah. hugely popular game with well done art style and cool aesthetic. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a, it's an interesting time for games because this is this weird inflection point. My question to you, Christian, is as somebody that plays a lot of Battle Royale games, you, you know, you played a lot of PUBG and sort of now I've played a lot of Fortnite. Do you, do we need more Battle Royale modes? Is, is this a mode that is just essential now? Is it not, it's not a type of game that you want to play. It's more like it needs to be a mode in every game.
0: I
2: I I do want more battle royales because I think someone can can make something better and more interesting. I'm not content with like these are the two juggernauts and this is the best it's ever going to be. Um you know, I, I like, you can look at the fighting game genre. Do we need anything else other than Street Fighter? You know, or whatever example you want to look at. And there's been, I'm very glad that we have Dragon Ball Fighters, um, and some of these other games. And I'm glad Mortal Kombat went the direction it went and it wouldn't have if not for the creativity of other games in the, in the space. Um, and I think Radical Heights is doing some cool things, um, in the Battle Royale genre as well. What I don't like about Radical Heights, having not played it for the past three days or whatever, uh at least when it launched there were bots to fill up the matches. And so my concern to your question, Jeff, if every game has this and it's just kind of a mode, am I not really playing Battle Royale? I'm playing one versus twenty and then there are 80 bots running around. Because it's a very different game. Um because AI scripting just isn't the same as as people in these battle royale modes. And so if Call of Duty is a product that has zombies and co-op and traditional deathmatch and all of these features that You know, there are professionals playing right now that make a living playing traditional Call of Duty multiplayer. And then Battle Royale is also just a mode. How robust of a mode is it? And what's the player base going to be? And if I'm waiting a long time to get into games and and stuff like that, then it will hurt. But I I do think there's room in the quote unquote Battle Royale genre for many more competitors and a few more to do it well. Will there be more than that that don't do it well? I mean, yeah, right? (laughs) There's bound to be. There's bound to be.
1: Uh, eric you 've already mentioned that you know this isn 't exactly your game, but I wonder if more in the abstract the idea of something that has traditionally been sold at sixty dollars and there 's been these two big pillars of what you purchase right there 's the multiplayer side which is big and robust and sprawling and has you know gained uh, breadth and width as I- every in every iteration it's yeah. been expanded upon and it's a huge thing. but also there is this single player side that has also gained breadth and width and has you know uh, these are big productions with Hollywood actors, you know we've seen kevin spacey and and you know on and on and on it's It's a big deal these single player campaigns in call of duty games yeah to to take that out from a product like this. And yeah, it sounds like they're replacing it with a different multiplayer mode, but do you think that we need to see them announce a different price point here? Because a a Fortnite is free, a, a PUBG is, what, 30 bucks? Uh, yeah. These types of games tend to not be full sixty price games, so sixty dollars games. What what is what is your take on that?
0: Yeah, you know, I guess I hadn't really thought of of offering it at a lower price point. That that would make sense because uh, it it has uh, you know has less in the box. Uh, I'm more concerned about what segments of their audience they're going to appeal to now. I mean, we've hmm. we've essentially said I'm a single player guy. Um, and then there are others, I'm sure, that buy these boxes just for the multiplayer, just for the, the death matches and, and to play against other people online and don't care a whit for for the uh, the single player campaign. Yeah. Uh, and, and so they're essentially saying, well, we're going to pay attention to this segment of the audience. We, we, we you know, maybe we'll get to you guys that like the uh, single player stuff later.
1: Um, well, yeah, that, that second segment of the multiplayer uh, community is where the money is perpetual, right? Mm-hmm. The single-player people buy something once, play through it, and they're done. The multiplayer people are are engaged, I think, more perpetually and therefore can theoretically be buying more things to continue that journey. I don't sure. agree,
2: Jeff. I game fly these games and play the single-player. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even buy them. It, 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 ugh. it does, it hurts my heart a little bit because I really do enjoy the, the roller coaster bombastic, uh, thrill ride that these campaigns are. And what was the last, not World War II was fine. It was trite and whatever, but it was still, it was a very well done trite World War II movie. The one before that advanced warfare. Whatever that one, the name it had a bad name. But that campaign I thought was incredible, like the really, really one. well done. Yeah, the future the one, one that took
1: place in the future was space battles and stuff. Yeah, it was yeah. really well done. See, I haven't played them in a while, and and that maybe that's telling because I'm in Eric's camp here, where I I've always played Call of Duty for its single player campaign, but I haven't played the last couple. So maybe maybe a we are albatrosses. We are you know the the, the not the where the zeitgeist is right now. And B maybe also we are a trend or at least I'm a trend of, I haven't played it in a couple of iterations. So maybe they're that they're seeing that fall off, even the engagement in the single player. I guess
0: I'm not really surprised at this decision. I'm just disappointed, Jeff.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is so much worse. (laughs) It's so much worse to be disappointed. Um, My story of the week, I'm going to pull a me and and combine two into one because uh, both of them happened at uh, the same event called Reboot Develop. We got a couple of interesting uh, bits of information. The first one very much ties into what we've been talking about, about Battle Royale modes. Uh, I think we talked on the show, I don't know, a couple months ago, about Housemark, the people that have made a bunch of really cool, uh, arcade shooters for PlayStation, including Rezogun and Dead Nation. Uh, they're a Finnish developer. Really, really cool stuff. I, I, I Man, I dig their games so much. But they announced uh, a couple months ago they were done. They said Arcade is dead. Uh, Next Machina, which was their most recent game, which, man, is so cool, uh, they said it would be their final arcade game. They were moving on to do something else. And it sounds like, based on some kind of cagey answers to uh, interview questions that this presentation they made at the reboot develop 2018 uh, conference, uh, their new game storm divers is going to be drum roll, please a battle Royale game. Um, so, (laughs) you know, here we are, right? Like everybody thinks they need to make a battle Royale in order to survive. Uh, and there are some good developers working on this stuff so i can't just say housemark you know what are you doing i feel like maybe they are the guys that come in and make the great version of this that has something fresh to contribute but boy it sure seems like everybody and their brother is jumping on a bandwagon that has already sailed to mix my metaphors <laughs> <laughs> uh eric uh too many too many battle royale games or is this like Anything else. I mean, even in board gaming, right, everybody's got to have their deck builder when deck builders happen, you know. Exactly. And and,
0: and, well, I mean, what happens is is that you get a bunch of copycats, um, but then you also get the innovators, you know, that even we, we sort of deride this this jumping on the bandwagon thing, but it does usually produce a couple of offshoots that are worth their while. You know, if you throw these many, this amount of resources into a style, into a genre, you're going to get something good out of it. But you're also going to get a lot of derivative stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it's the, you know, it's the game de jour, right? It's, it's the uh, the thing that's making all the money. People are excited about it. And uh, these things happen cyclically. And, yeah, you're right. So, you, you, I mean, there's the Fortnites of the world that really seem like it, it's brought a breath of fresh air to PUBG Christian, what's your take on this?
2: Yeah, I mean I I th- I think I kinda of, I might be I talked around it, but I'm I welcome more um iterations to the space. I, I I'm going to feel bad for the ones that don't succeed because I know that they are trying and I think that there is definitely room to make awesome stuff in, in the space still, just as there, you know, when Halo was out, every game, you know, mm-hmm. this is the Halo killer. Will they finally someone to throw in Halo? Mm-hmm. And and then it was like Call of Duty. Everything's Call of Duty. <laughs> What's going to top Call of Duty? And, you know, we see this stuff march along and we're going to keep seeing it. I think to see how smart go this route and they, you know, they haven't really showed what their game is. At least what I've seen, it hasn't kind of revealed their take on it. Like, is it a twin stick shooter ship combat battle royale? Like, what the type of games that they have made before are A, jaw-droppingly gorgeous um and be very intense like that arcade style thing so i'm i'm curious if they kind of roll some of that pedigree into a battle royale that could be something incredible or you know maybe they you know they they pull um uh come on brain's not working but kill zone to horizon zero dawn you know just a total genre shift for that studio and it's like they're making an open world game they don't they don't do that kill zones are so linear they're never gonna do it and then it was our favorite game of the year so Gorilla is what you're thinking. Of. Gorilla, yeah. yes, thank yeah. you. So I will give them the benefit of the doubt until the game comes out, and hopefully it's great. And if not, then we, we won't play it and we'll move on, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, and it's nothing new, as Eric mentioned. It's nothing new to have a bunch of copycats. It just happens, right? And uh, hopefully the good rises to the top. Uh, also at the Reboot Develop Conference, uh, I think a very interesting bit of a reveal and again this isn't a an official sort of place where news is broken this conference Uh, traditionally it's it's uh these aren't actual game reveals or any announcements they're just uh, discussions that the designers are having where they're showing stuff that they're working on so we don't have all the details about this but uh the original assassin's creed creator patrice Soleil, I believe it's pronounced, uh, Patrice de Soleil. Uh, He is showing a game we know that he's been working on since at least 2015 called uh, Ancestors the Humanoid, excuse me, Ancestors the Humankind Odyssey. And boy, this sounds interesting. It, it seems to have a lot of Assassin's Creed DNA in it. Uh, very much a third-person action RPG-style adventure game. But what was shown was that at least at a certain point in the game, you play as an ape uh, moving through jungle environments, leaping from treetop to treetop, much like the characters in Assassin's Creed, uh, you know, move effortlessly, climb effortlessly. But now you're an ape doing it. And there is some sense of a natural hierarchy in, you know, in the, in the, in the, the, in mother nature where small things eat big things and big things eat even you know and bigger things small eat, things, eat big things eat big things and big right. things <laughs> yeah. eat small things and yeah Mersey notes and dozy notes you know the whole thing yeah, all the rhymes uh anyway <laughs> i'm really jazzed about this this concept i it may just be uh, assassin's ape or ape's creed whatever whatever you want to call it but I love the idea of somebody just thinking outside the box and saying, what if we're not even human? Uh, Eric, do you did you see this? What is your take on playing as uh, a pre-human creature?
0: Oh, well, it's certainly uh, something I haven't done before. Uh, to, to hear about some a game that's going to let me fly around the treetops as an ape, that, that sounds exciting. I haven't seen the gameplay footage yet. So uh, this is something that I definitely want to dig into, though. Um, yeah, there's no
1: footage. Actually, they they were very uh, locked down as far as uh, letting people video it, but it was a bunch of descriptions of what was <laughs> seen. So we don't quite know. Like I said, this isn't an official announcement, but man, it's got me so intrigued.
0: That's fascinating, and and it's uh, such a a, a ripe um, world to to get content from the entire animal kingdom. Uh, you, there was a mention of of this only being volume one. And possibly yeah. exploring other avenues of the animal kingdom. That could be pretty neat. If they get the physics right and the uh, the the lifelike movements of the di- these different animals, that could be a blast.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I'm basically playing those new Planet of the Apes games, you know, if that's yeah. the experience that I'm ex- having, like wh- where I have a, uh, a civilization of apes and, you know, that, that sounds rad. Um, <laughs> Christian, what do you think about this?
2: Well, if humankind history has taught me anything, the first one will have a lot of promise and the second one will be the one that nails it, right? <laughs> like that's, uh, we'll be like, oh, this, mean, this is pretty cool, but I'll wait for Assassin's Creed 2 and then all the right. iterations off of that. But it is, it's a genre or a time, a character type, not a genre that hasn't really been explored. And I think with the success of the modern Planet of the Apes films and even before that, the success of planet of the apes as a franchise for so long i think it's interesting that we haven't had this intelligent you know there are characters like winston and um gorilla grod grod Grood, gorilla grod Grood. Um, Grood in dc and, and you know there's examples of these hyper intelligent apes that i think could have cool stories built around them for video games um in terms of video game mechanics like Okay, we want someone that can swing. We're making a game. It's like Uncharted, but the character needs to be able to climb anything, swing on any vine. Yeah, it's an ape, right? <laughs> like we, have, we <laughs> have. that. If Nathan Drake can jump eighty feet and throw a grapple and land on a branch and swing across, and I'm okay with that, I should be okay with an ape having hyper intelligent to be a protagonist for a video game and then also doing that stuff. I think it sounds. I think it sounds like a
1: really really cool take on an adventure game. I hope they don't cop out and just give you quests you know like I, I would love for it to embrace this uh pre-verbal kind of communication like it would be interesting mm. if you had to sort of uh i don't know figure out the kinds of things you need to do based on context clues and environmental clues rather than walking up to an ape and it going Ooh, uh, uh, and then just like subtext where it's like i need you to go out and get four pelts for the family you huh. know
0: <laughs> they could hold up wily coyote style signs
1: <laughs> there you go yeah don't look down. Uh, yeah, exactly. Anyway, I'm, I'm excited about this. I don't know when we'll hear more about it, but it sounds like uh, his team has been working on it for several years now. So maybe this is more of an E3 type game. Maybe it's farther out. Who knows? Certainly sounds like they had a lot of finished footage to show. It was all in-engine that they showed this, this video. Um, nobody was playing it, I don't think, but Still uh I'm I'm excited anytime that there's something you know this is sort of the opposite of the battle royale conversation we're having anytime there's something that feels fresh and different and a new take I'm I get my ears perk up and I get excited
2: Oh no 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 Jeff you don't understand one person was playing the ape the other person was playing the crocodile another person was playing the tiger it was just a battle royale game
1: Oh <laughs> no, it's battle royale animal kingdom <laughs> No
2: yeah. And then at the at the end of each round, instead of like radical heights having like the
1: you're the best of
2: rap their sound clip is just Qui-Gon Jim. Qui-Gon Jim from Star Wars saying there's always a bigger fish or whatever. Yeah.
1: No, it's uh one the one of the uh a- apes holding up another one and it's like ha <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: So many options. We're writing the game for them. <laughs> we, the uh, soundtrack
0: yeah. is made by Lebo M.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, let's uh, start talking about some of the games we have been playing. But first, I want to thank our sponsor. You know, you know Squarespace. If you've listened to the show before, you know Squarespace. I love Squarespace. If there's any any reason for you to create an online place to be a website, a presence of any kind, and let's be honest, everybody at some point is going to need to engage the web to make money, to show off a portfolio. At some point, even just a blog, you're probably going to need a website, but it can be such a pain to make one, not with Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website. You don't have to have any coding experience. It's all drag and drop. What you see is what you get. You can showcase your work, blog or self-publish. You can even sell things because they have all of the mechanics to create an online marketplace as just drag and drop plugins. It's so easy to even create a store online using Squarespace. You start with a beautiful template created by world-class developers, and then you just start messing around. You can drag and drop. It's so easy. Their tools are all free to try. If you want to take it for a test drive, build your site, see how easy it is. They never even take your credit card until you are ready to publish your site. There's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. That's all handled in the background for you by them. They have free and secure hosting, a built-in search engine optimization feature. So if you're trying to get publicity or marketing for your online presence, it's all built in. Uh, 24-7 award-winning customer support if you run into any issues. It's great. I've been using it. JeffCanada.com was built on Squarespace 10 years ago. I actually looked this week. I looked. JeffCanada.com was built in 2008. So Mm -hmm. I've been using Squarespace happily for a decade now. And uh, I, I recommend it to friends and family. And I want to recommend it to you as well. And even better. I want to give you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. If you go and check out squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. That's all one word. J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E. And use the promo code Jeff sent me. You'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So Save money. Use the best tools in the business, have peace of mind, and do it. Make something beautiful very easily with Squarespace. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and that promo code Jeff sent me to get yourself ten percent off. Hey, before we get into the playlist. I need to jump in here and apologize for what you're about to hear. We had a major crash right at this point in the recording, and we had to start things up using a method we don't usually use, and so the audio is going to sound really bad uh, from this point forward in the show. It's certainly listenable, and uh, I think we have some really awesome discussions. Eric talks about some great Tabletop games later, we talk about Labo and some cool stuff coming up. I think you'll enjoy it, but it does not sound great. It sounds blown out and weird, and I apologize. We will uh, do our best to prevent this from happening in the future, and I hope you're able to still enjoy the rest of the episode. I think it's a good one. Thanks for listening. Uh, it is time now to talk about the games we have been playing, and uh, let's start... With something from the Wayback Machine, because, Eric, you've been playing Super Metroid, the classic. Uh, are you playing it on the SNES Mini?
0: I did. I finally got my hands on one of those little devices, and I've been showing the kids all the games I used to play. And the one I've been playing that I have to play for me is Super Metroid. What was it, 1993, I think? Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm loving this game just as much as I did when I played it the first time, and it, it, the distance is so great. I haven't played this since the original Super Nintendo, and I, uh, I'm remembering vaguely things, but certainly nothing as, as detailed as you need to have for, for Metroid knowledge. So I'm really exploring this like it was the first time. And, mm. uh, and, you know, I come up against a boss. And I'm like, oh, I, can't, I don't remember how to do this. I can't, you know, can't defeat this guy. And then I remember some little trick that I, I oh, yeah. If I, if I use the, the little electro beam on these uh, flashing things in the corner, I can zap this guy. And it's an easy win. But I don't remember that when I first run into these guys. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm not yet done. I'm, I think I'm three out of the four mini bosses complete. And still having a blast playing through this classic.
1: Well, my my big question is: uh, you, you have two sons, right? Yes. Uh, how are they reacting to uh, something as as old and, and uh, before their lifetimes as as Super Metroid?
0: Uh, I I think they're they're enjoying it. I mean, they, they're not they're not approaching it saying, "Oh, this is this is so beyond us. This is terrible." They're 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 seeing it for what it is and and appreciating the challenge of it. Uh, both of them have started their own uh, save games uh, working their way through it and and are uh, still having varying levels of success they are, they're more Kirby players uh, they haven't haven't enjoyed it what I really was disappointed was they don't uh, they aren't into Zelda yet I said hmm. Hey here's link to the past. this is the best of the best of Zelda <laughs> uh, and and uh, they they haven't really taken to that. I think I'm going to have to start playing through that once I finish with Super Metroid
1: yeah i i'm definitely anticipating that kind of thing with my own kids uh you know my my son's only one and a half so we're still a ways off from from that happening but i i you know i look at something like god of war and Mm -hmm. how just incredible it looks and i'm so bowled over by the visuals of of games that happen now and that's just going to be the baseline for my kid like that's the that's the least good a game is going to look in his, yeah. his lifetime. And I wonder how he will, uh, or, and my daughter, who is about to be born, uh, how they will react to these older games. It's like, did, Will they hold up? Is that, is that something they will bounce off of simply because it feels old? Well, I think there's, there's
0: certainly a connection to app games. There's a lot of stuff on the iPad that my kids have played like Robot Wants Kitty. <laughs> that is very similar to the stuff you're seeing in in uh Super Mario World or Super Metroid. Right. And and isn't that far off graphically from what you're seeing there. So I think there's more of a connection than than you think.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the biggest gift that uh, Minecraft has ever given the world is <laughs> introducing yes. a bunch of kids to blocky graphics. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Um, you mentioned you've also been playing through Firewatch, which I have. Uh, is a wonderful game.
0: Yeah, we talked about that uh, during the news segment. This is one that I'm I'm also several years behind on, but uh, Rich Summer, the the voice of the main character Henry, uh, sent me a code when I first got a PS4. He's like you have to here you go, tr- you know, play my game. And uh, I I just really loved the uh, the vastness of the whole thing and the Quiet nature of the storytelling and how you really barely see anyone else other than just the first person perspective of Henry, and it's all told through the dialogue and the, and the story unfolding that way. Uh, just a fascinating way to tell a story. And I'm now I'm playing through it with the commentary on, which I, I also appreciate um, to hearing how they put it together, how they they did the the pacing of various elements of the story, how they they overcame challenges of of making sure that the player still knows where to go, even though it's this open-world layout of the game. Uh, so that's, that I find fascinating, too. He's getting behind the, the scenes into the nuts and bolts of the production of the game and how they led me down this path. It's, it's pretty yeah, cool.
1: yeah it, it is cool. And, and for a while there, it seemed like there were a number of games that were trying to do something like that. The, the idea of sort of DVD or Blu-ray special features... In a video game. And I, I think that's kind of fallen off that you don't see that happening too often anymore. But there, I think I think uh, speaking of the Campo Santos valve connection, I think Portal did that. Didn't Portal do that? They, and they, uh, yeah. yeah, a couple other games. And I, I would love to see that more. I, I think that is such a I agree with you. I feel, feel like that's such an interesting, you know, look behind the curtain. And uh, I wish that that trend would return. But Man, Firewatch, is such a wonderful experience, and it makes me so excited for what Valley of the Gods is going to be. Oh, those yeah, guys are great, yeah. Uh, and then I'm not familiar with this game. You put on Returner seventy seven on your playlist.
0: Yes, Returner seventy seven is an app game. Uh, I'm playing it on the iPad. It is a, uh, it's one of those escape room click puzzle adventures, kind of like mm. The Room or or the um, Forever Lost series. I, I adore. This one is not as good as those. It, it's flashy. It's this, uh, you know, you're, you're working your way through an alien spaceship and, and trying to solve different puzzles uh, to, to escape, basically. But it it's more flash and less smoothness. Um, it, it, it lacks a little bit of the polish, and some of the uh, puzzles are frustratingly difficult. And what's really driven me nuts is that there is a hint system in the game that I was needing help with uh, there was i had to turn a crank and i didn't have a handle to turn the crank so you know you have to go searching for the handle i couldn't find the handle i couldn't use another handle i had used somewhere else and so i asked the hint system hit the hint system button and it said oh you need to turn the handle I was Like, well, okay. <laughs> okay so what i hit the button again and it went through this processing thing and basically skipped the puzzle it said oh you need extra help puzzles over and it just ah. moved the story forward. And no, I wanted... Okay, I realize I asked for help, but <laughs> you're supposed to at least show me what I didn't do. Don't just skip it entirely. Right. And that I, I had to put the thing down, and I just, like, how frustrating is that? I hate having the, the puzzle ripped away from me. Even yeah. if I'm asking for help, I want to actually see what I missed. What did I not do? Um. It's annoying. So I, yeah. I can't... If you if you have nothing else uh, and you're a huge fan of of puzzle this this style of game you've played all the room games you've played all the forever lost games everything from uh, glitch games fine play Returner seventy seven to get you over the gap but I I'm more frustrated than I want to be with this
1: one I think that brings up a really fascinating conversation that we've never had on this show before which is how difficult it is to do good hints. You know, hints are such a subtle art because you're right. You don't want you don't want the game to be like, here's how you do it. You know, you yeah. want it to kind of nudge you in the right direction. And you definitely don't want what you were talking about, where it's just like, oh, you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> we know yeah. it's hard. We want you don't have to do it. Uh, but but, you know, you what you want is that feeling of giving you just a nudge, just the, the, the tiniest bit of w- w- where should I even be looking? Hey, you know, what? hey, listen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, right. Yeah, and and I don't know. I get so worried about uh, ever engaging into a hint system in games that offer it because I'm so I, I have so little confidence that they ever do it right or well.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. yeah you almost don't want to use it at all because you're afraid they're going to take that extra leap. Uh, I mentioned the room games; they do it extremely well. There's sort of multiple tiers of hints. And if you haven't made any progress in a while, it, it, the little question mark lights up in the corner of the screen. And if you hit it, it'll say, I wonder what's up with that cabinet in the corner. Mm. Which is, that's great. Oh, so I should be focusing on this corner of the room. Perfect. Thank you. And that's yeah. usually enough to get you back on track. And then if you're still having trouble, after I think about a minute or two, the thing lights up again. And you have to then engage with the hint system. And then it might say, that drawer looks a little funny. Yeah, And it still doesn't spell it out. It just keeps focusing you, and the, and the focus gets narrower and narrower until eventually you find the hidden switch that's underneath the drawer. Right. Um,
1: yeah, that's that, great.
0: That's much better than whatever this was. I, I think they're trying to be helpful, but it just... Uh,
1: the other thing about this that I'm noticing in modern games, uh, especially even God of War has this uh, a, a, an example of this, but games like uh, Uncharted and and others where you're dealing with a lot of uh, NPCs that are hanging out with your allies that are along the ride on your journey, um, they will sort of volunteer up hints without me having to ask. You know, if you're just wandering around a little bit, they'll be like, "Oh man, oh look what I found over here," or boy that that wall sure looks funny or something you know they'll, they'll say some bit of yeah. contextual help that I didn't ask for, and mm-hmm. maybe I, maybe I was just sort of like hanging out looking up looking around and, and you know taking in the graphics or you know trying to find a something else or do some other stupid thing, or maybe I just set my controller down for a second, and mm-hmm. I didn't need you to help me you know yeah. it's interesting it's it's a it's a easy to screw up thing, I think mm hmm uh, very fascinating. Very cool. Um, Christian, let's talk a little... I keep bringing up God of War. It's God of War release week. I know we went deep on God of War last week, uh, when Andrea was here, and I hope everybody listened to that episode, and if you didn't, and now you've played it, go back. We did not spoil anything, and we will continue to not spoil anything, uh, story-wise, at least, but I, I think we can talk a little bit more specifically, because now the game is out, about some mechanics... Me- me- mechanism, <laughs> see what I did. I'm still going to challenge um, you on that, but go ahead. Mechanism, mechanism stuff. Um, so le- have you been playing more? God, I know you were traveling this week a lot.
2: I am. Play- I have played more. Um, not as much as I had played. You know, I- my pace has has lessened. I I'm taking a more leisurely approach, and um, I had yeah some other engagements that kept me away from from my console. But I have been playing more. I'm still blown away by the game. And whomever, whomever had the idea and whoever the animator was that did the the whole axe throw is just... Give give that Galler guy a raise. It's so good. It's so satisfying. Every, I can just sit in a room and... Go, hum, kajim, hum, kajim. Yeah. I'm playing catch with myself. It's so good.
1: One of the things that I kept thinking while playing through God of War was that this is how i wish a superhero game played i mean i guess kratos is basically a superhero at this point but this is how i want thor's hammer to feel if there were ever a thor you know marvel's thor video game this is how i would want superman to feel in a lot of ways there's a there, very close to the beginning there's a big set piece fight that happens that i won't spoil but the way it plays out is, I think, better than any Zack Snyder-filmed Superman sequence in any of the movies he's done. Yeah. It it is so well shot, just cinematically, how it's presented in the game, and yet I'm playing it, and it's not just a series of QTEs. I am playing. I am using the established mechanisms of the game to engage in that fight, but also it's shot like a film, and it has these incredibly satisfying set-piece moments. It has... You know, you're kind of moving in and out of cutscene and, and play seamlessly, and it is so epic and so uh, over the top in terms of the power level of the combatants. And it feels like, man, I want a Superman game that feels like this. You know, I, want, I love that we have this for Kratos, but man, it would be so great if we got like a Marvel or DC superhero game that had the same aesthetic. It would be so great.
2: Yeah, I hope the Avengers project, you know, gets us there, and I have full faith in Insomniac to give us that Spider-Man experience, but Spider-Man isn't known for his brute strength the way some right. of the other Marvel her- heroes are. A game that did it great that I honestly have not revisited in probably a decade, um, but was Hulk Ultimate Destruction. I put it on the GameCube. I believe it was on everything.
1: It's not great,
2: man. It was great. <laughs> I loved it. Like, the just the really? traversal, traversal and smashing, of, and like that... that feeling like the hulk where you kind of had all your powers and you could leap from building to building i think it's ultimate Mm -hmm. destruction i might be getting my my hulk games wrong
1: yeah i remember that game i think that's the one i'm remembering the same one as you but uh yeah i don't remember being super strong um but uh you know specific the 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 pure fight of the game, the pure moment to moment of what you're doing. Every fight seems awesome in in God of War. Yes, that axe is so satisfying, and there are so many options, and options continue to uh, unravel as you as you move forward. New options are presented throughout the game. New ways to slot uh, special moves into your into your axe, um, and it feels really fun. And you know there are a, a bunch of optional. Uh, things to do optional challenges there are like really intense fights that you can trigger in certain areas there are these valkyries that you you take down they're completely optional have nothing to do with the story but it's just like really tough fights to, to take on and the first time I fought one of the valkyries it is it, it, it I died I don't know a dozen times but I never felt like it was impossible. I never felt like the game was being cheap. I kept wanting to jump back into the breach and keep trying again and again because I felt like I was getting better. I was improving. I was learning. And that's where that Dark Souls comparison for me is. It it, it never felt like the game was being unfair. It never felt like – it always felt like I, my skill level was rising as I was failing. And that – is a huge thing to do especially for somebody like me who gets frustrated fairly easy with with games like this i I don't like the feeling of butting my head ag- up against a wall, which is why i don't tend to like you know games like celeste and uh and others that that I know you like christian but but for the, for some reason, God of War just nails that feeling of oh my gosh, I can do better i can, oh I get it now, oh i'm learning the enemy and it is such a satisfying progression of skill uh, on my part.
2: Yeah, and I think combined with just the aesthetic, right, like where the, the 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 beautiful graphics go a long way and the incredible sound design and voice acting go a long way in terms of making those things replayable where, where something like Celeste, your example, it's – you know that pixel perfect platforming thing. It's really quick to reload you into a level, but then you're just like, ah, oh, and you see the same level in front of you, and you're presented with the same problem, and it's just like, oh, I'm I'm sick of this, or in Plus, or any of those games, right? But with God of War, it's like you're getting back into this, you're getting back into the red room, right, <laughs> or yeah, whatever your right. favorite. You're you're taking on, you're climbing the tower in Dread, or you're entering the raid, and you feel this awesome sense of like. Yeah, I'm directing this amazing action sequence. Here we go. Atomic blonde, John Wick, whatever, whatever that thing is, that calling is for you. You're going to strap in and have this incredibly epic battle. And so even if you fail at it a couple of times, it's still fun and it's engaging and you, and it, it does, you know, borrow or learn from enough of the soul series that each battle feels like it's chess, like you're actually playing and doing something and you're not just memorizing you know, moves or looking for punch out style visual cues for when you can attack and strike, you're actually playing the encounter each time. So every time you go back into it or reload, if you fail, it doesn't feel like you, you have to memorize to get to this point and then do new stuff. You're it's a, it's a new battle and you've learned from the last time and how you're going to engage with this enemy, but it, it's still fresh and fun.
1: Yeah. The decision-making is so strong. Every, every moment feels like I have A variety of ways to to tackle this problem and it's it's just so well made top to bottom i'm so glad people are playing and loving god of war um we'll be talking about a lot more on the show over the next weeks as christian moves through it and we can do spoilery talk as well at some point yeah Uh, the other big release uh, on the same day actually uh, as god of war was nintendo labo and I know, Christian, you picked up Labo, which is the big cardboard construction set that, that interfaces with your Switch. Uh, what is your, what is your uh, reaction to uh, diving in on Labo?
2: So just to full disclosure, I have had limited hands-on time with it. I haven't had as much time as I wanted because I was out of town, and Labo was patiently waiting for me at home. But um, when I got home, my uh, almost five-and-a-half-year-old and I fired it up together and before we even... Hey,
1: Christian, real quick. When you got home and it was waiting on your doorstep, does that mean you are a Labo door retriever?
2: <laughs>
0: mm. <laughs> Ouch.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> my, dog is, my dog is a chocolate Labo door <laughs> retriever. And she actually went and got it for us. So it worked out really well. Oh, good. Um, I thought you had... I thought like our audio failed again. I was like, oh, hold on. <laughs> what are
1: we doing? No, no, just no it's just... A... In a in a way, our audio did fail again.
2: (laughs) Uh, um, uh, Okay, hold on. Yep, there we go. Great, got it. Got it back again. Thanks, Jeff. Um, You're getting those dad jokes ready for kid number two. You got to have a deeper well. I like it. That's
1: right. That's right. I like it.
2: Um, But right when we got home, you know, I I wanted her to be engaged and kind of see if she was interested in it. And just like looking at the box and explaining the different. I have the variety kit, not the big robot, but like the house, the keyboard, the fishing rod. Um, we were kind of going through it and she was like, whoa, that house. And I was kind of showing her what it could do and we we're looking at the pictures like, wow, that's incredible. Hold on. I, I want to see what, I want to show you what my house can do. And so she's like, got out a piece of paper and like, I texted you the picture of it. Jeff. She like drew her own Labo house and she's like, I hope we can make it do this. And like, immediately, it was inspiring creativity in her. So hopefully that continues as we, build this thing and um, you're like no it it can't do that (laughs) it it can only do this fish thing that's like there's only
1: six things it can do and that's not one of them (laughs) that
2: that is definitely not the case if our listeners or you jeff eric have not watched the you know invent your own thing videos that nintendo has put out for labo it's it's incredible what this thing what this thing is capable of i am not capable of any of it but maybe my daughter will be um but immediately upon opening the the box and diving in and going through the game and, and we're building the fishing rod um experience right now which is fairly lengthy in terms of the steps required to build the rod it is so well made i mean this thing exudes nintendo quality from top to bottom it's easy to kind of roll your eyes at it and be like oh it's it's cardboard you're folding cardboard you out some cardboard and crumple it up make game i mean i guess that's what you're doing but like the, the videos that walk you through the step-by-step guide have such a sense of charm and wonder to them as you're kind of exploring this piece and folding it and building the things and snapping them together. And then just, I think the, the fishing rod is five big steps and I think it's five of those big sheets of cardboard with a bunch of pieces that you pop out and fold together to make this thing and have it all interact. And then you can see how it works and why it works and why it does the thing it does. And then we see the huge stacks of, of other projects in the box and my daughter just had this moment she's like, Whoa, we haven't even finished the fishing rod and there are so many others to do. She looked at me, she was like, Dad, this is gonna be our project for a very long time. Yes (laughs) And she was like super psyched on it. Which I was super psyched about. And then I also had that fun moment of being um the bad guy in the Lego movie where she was, like, working on... There's, like, a one very large piece in the fishing rod set. She was, like, folding it, and I saw her kind of, like, creasing it where it's not supposed to crease, and I was like... Mm don't say anything. Don't say, <laughs> let her have this moment. And I was like, let me do it. <laughs> but uh, that's not what the
1: instructions say. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm teaching you to follow instructions. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm very pleased with it thus far. I'll have more to talk about next week as we, you know, actually play with it. And then we build the motorcycle and then my dog sits on it. And I'm just like, what a waste. Uh, but right now <laughs> it, it is, it is everything that you would think a Nintendo product would be. And then mixed with just this zany off the wall. Like, of course Nintendo would have me build a cardboard fishing rod with cardboard rubber bands and string that takes, like, 30 minutes to an hour to make. (laughs) Like, uh, it's it's really neat. It's really neat.
1: I got so close to going out and buying it, but my my son is just at the perfect age where he will immediately destroy it. It would be like <laughs> he'll think it's the coolest thing and then have to break it. Uh, right. So
2: my almost three year old was she was like, "Wow, I'm gonna go draw!" <laughs> like <Yeah. I> immediately <laughs> pieced out. I think she'll like the games, but she's not into the you know the building. But she loved the best part about it was I got it from uh, Best Buy, and so they put the box in the box, and she was playing with her own box, and then my wife came back in and. Claire, my youngest, is, like, coloring in this box. And she goes, look, Mom, I'm playing a video game with Dad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. I I know it's early yet, but how do you feel about the durability of of the cardboard components? Do you think this is going to disintegrate in a couple weeks, or or is this going to hold up for a while?
2: They they feel really well made. I mean, it's like does a snap tight model car fall apart? Like, you know, that's cheap plastic. And if you sit on it or step on it, it will break. But this fishing rod feels substantial. I'm, I'm sure it will and can break there. They offer replacement parts and they also have, uh, the schematics online for you to kind of build your own replacement parts if you wanted to, oh, which okay. I think is, it's nice and something that, you know, video game companies don't always do. Um, yeah, but I, I'm sure there will be horror stories of like, because it takes up space. They're not small. The motorcycle um, handlebars, you know, I don't know, two feet or whatever. Like, I don't know where you put all this stuff. But it, <laughs> it it feels substantial. I think I've broken DualShock controllers before, though, Eric. So I'm sure I'm capable of breaking <laughs> <laughs> Labo equipment as well. Okay.
1: My big question is, because it's Nintendo and it's so hard to predict where their head is and what their future holds – is this the kind of thing where we're going to see Labo as this platform that exists for you know two, three, five years, or is this a this product that they came out with and then we never hear about it again? I, I hope it's the latter. I'd love for it to be this thing that we keep talking about for many years, and there's new kinds of Labos, and they keep you know this is like an entirely new line that they continue. But I just don't have any confidence that Nintendo actually. Thinks about it that way.
2: I think it can be, and I, I think in terms of like their mobile apps. I think this could be a heck of a iOS app or you know Android app. If you you no, know, I don't know the schematics of what type of resolution screen it would need or gyro sensitivity or whatever. But I happened to be on our flight back to LA today with a high school robotics team that were competing it in Texas, and just talking to my. Uh, airplane buddy who's sitting next to me and talking about video games Fortnite, and then i mentioned labo and he's like oh no we're super excited to get our hands on that we want to see what it can do and we want to build it out and you know our first goal is to try to break it like we want to do the thing like the create your <laughs> own and make like the wackiest if then combination and i think that's where this could really shine is if if they can separate it from the switch if they want to and really get it out into the hands of of people and i think you could have some awesome design labo design competitions the way they have arms esport events like open up the create your own project and let's see what people do and and make it and you have like these science fairs with you know a nintendo video game and kids are learning how to code or program with this thing and building i i can't see i can't wait to see what people build with it I, i think it's has the potential to become very robust and i think it seeds that potential you know on its first iteration already
1: very cool. We'll be talking lots more about Labo uh, in the future as well. But Christian, you had something else on your playlist.
2: Yes, uh, I have been playing the We Got Codes. I think you got a Codes as well. Um, I'm here to report I still like Zen Pinball, you guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I still like it. I got Codes for their two Last Jedi tables, and they are beautiful. I'm playing them on iOS, and they're very fun tables which you know it's hit and miss but i feel like this these last few that i've played the jurassic park tables and now these last jedi tables i was playing them a lot on the plane and and they're they're really really um well put together and like the graphics that kind of make up the background or the scenes that you reenact in the table as you're trying to hit the ball in certain lanes are really cool and they're uh, like tie fighters just like a swarm of tie fighters flying over you the whole time um, hmm. and, and kind of recreating some of the scenes from the films. If you like Zen Pinball or Pinball, Pinball FX, um, the Last Jedi tables, um, seem like quality tables in that series.
1: So very, nice. very cool. Uh, I've been playing a game, uh, called Frostpunk, which, uh, I have an early code for. It comes out, uh, this week. Um, so it, it was an early, uh, review version of Frostpunk. Um, but this seems like a game that you might like, Eric. Uh, I don't know. Do you, you tend to play video games that feel a bit like board games, uh, Civilization and games like that? Uh, on occasion, sure. Frostpunk it feels like a version of Civilization crossed with, oh, I don't know, Darkest Dungeon or something very depressing. Uh, very, <laughs> it's a, It is a post-apocalyptic – well, I don't even know if it's – technically an apocalypse but post bad things happening post it is second nuclear winter type deal the whole world is ice people are fleeing uh, london and trying to establish a new society in the middle of frozen wasteland and they managed to erect a, uh, a a heater a heater that will keep them warm and alive and you have you're in this sort of this this crater uh where uh, in the center of which is a heater that runs on coal and it is barely creaking along keeping the people in that village alive and it's a you know a civilization style god game where you're building out uh the city and trying to keep every all the citizens alive by building structures and uh maintaining uh mining and resources and and uh, developing laws and creating this society from scratch Hmm. and it is intense man it's really cool it's beautiful the visualization of the city as you build it is really striking has a lot of detail i mean it's very uh it's a bit depressing because it is these are people at the end of their rope uh they are uh, you know shanty town they're they're haggard and basically dying from trekking through the ice of this post- apocalypse and they're willing to do anything to survive and in fact a lot of the laws and rules that you can establish from your society for your society walk this line of how ruthless do you want to be to these people i mean you can Force them to work twenty-four hour days. You can create child labor laws where they force their children to 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 work, or you can try to protect children. You can uh, switch out their food for just soup and make them <laughs> just eat soup instead of because that's you know can feed way more people. But it's dark, man. It's dark. So in that sense, it's a little you know it's not the kind of game that's going to feel super relaxing. And it's a lot like some of my, my qualms with any co-op game, even in the board game space, is that a lot of times co-op games feel like I'm just staving off horrible things all the time uh-huh. instead of actually doing anything positive. You know, I'm not making something or doing something cool. I'm just getting it through another turn of preventing the horrible to happen. You know, <laughs> you know, what I mean? like uh, even pandemic and games like that, it's just like, well, how long can I it's it, I'm making decisions Based on the worst worst things happening, r- rather than on what I want to happen, right. and that's kind of this game. It's just like, oh man, you have <laughs> you have two meters in this game at the bottom of your screen <laughs> through the whole game. One is a meter of discontent, and the other is a meter of hope. Uh, oh. So yeah, so it, I mean, it's it's dark. You're, you're trying to get, keep the people with hope. You know, keep maintain hope. And keep your discontent low, but they are very much resources that you can use. You can, you know, intentionally move the discontent up and make the hope lower in order to get people to work harder and get things done. So you're constantly managing the, you know, just the misery of these people as a resource. And you're, uh, you know, you're gathering steel and wood from the frozen tundra and coal you're mining coal and you're building housing and you're building medical facilities and you're building workshops and you're researching technology it's very much a civilization game you're building roads between these different areas but it's really cool how it's all laid out it's like a concentric circles that out from your heater and as you level up your heater, it's able to generate more heat, and you're able to build farther out because the people can stay warm and survive. Right. Yeah. So the the fiction is really compelling and uh, interesting, but it is dark, man. It's a it's not it, the music is you know it's all violins and and melancholy. <laughs> you know it's what what you would expect, and it does it all very very well. It's dark, it's brooding, but the decisions you have to make. It's not like a feel-good hit of the summer. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, kind of like the logical uh, depressive uh, extension of Sim City.
1: Yes, yes, it's a uh, post-apocalyptic Sim City. Uh, yes, very much so. Uh, and I, I recommend. It. I'm having, I mean, I just started uh, f- put a few hours into it at this point, but it it the systems are all really strong. The world building is really interesting. I mean, Civilization I love, but You're basically building the history of the world as we know it, and that's cool, and I love it, but to create this alternate universe fiction, I think is such an interesting, different kind of experience, and you're able, I think, to slip into some I I tend not to make decisions in civilization that I wouldn't want the world to actually make, (laughs) and uh And uh, here I'm able to sort of be a little darker because it's such a a bleak vision. Um, But I I highly recommend it. Again, it's called Frostpunk. It's from 11-Bit Studios, and I'm just very, very impressed with it. But as long as everybody recognizes that it is not for the faint of heart. So that is what we have been playing on our playlist. Uh, We're going to dive into some board game talk, which I'm excited about. But I want to tell you about a new sponsor untuck it. Christian, did you get your untuck it?
2: I did get my untuck it.
1: So did I, man. I'm so impressed with my untuck it. Untuck it is a uh a clothing line uh, and it's if you're like me, uh you you know you you tend not to tuck your shirts in. <laughs> I don't like I like wearing dress shirts. Uh I think that looks sharp and I like it especially, you know, business casual uh situations. I like leaving them untucked, but oftentimes they will seem long and bulky and just ill-fitting, and there's nothing worse than wearing a dress shirt, and it not fit you well, and you just look like you're swimming in it. You look, uh, you look sloppy, honestly. It's, the whole idea of wearing nice clothes is to look nice, but oftentimes people who wear what should be nice clothes look sloppy, but untuck it was made specifically to be worn untucked and to make you look good. It's uh, a casual shirt that's not too long, not too short. It's just right. It really is different than any other shirt I've ever worn. And uh, GQ calls them perfection. So I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking, you know, GQ got my back, as GQ often has my back. You know, I say things, GQ backs me up. That's how our relationship works. Anyway, uh, they feel good. They look good. I put it on uh i'm i haven't worn it to work yet christian but i'm i'm planning to it it, is sharp looking shirt did you like yours you're you're digging yours
2: yeah i think what i like about it is uh the length it's like so many times you'll find a a dress shirt or a button up i have a a long sleeve button up and like especially if you're getting something off the rack so to speak like the collar's right but the sleeves are wrong and it's like you get the 14 and a half collar but this or that or what parts of it are off and when i when i put on my untucket i was like oh okay well, let's just let's button these sleeves and see how this. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> it was like it was a nice. Um, it it kept working, and oftentimes as I button up a shirt, I'm like, well, it's not going to look good when I get it buttoned, and it looked good when I had it buttoned and put it on, and then uh, I built Labo in it, so it, nice, it, it worked really well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and Untuck It is now making shirts for women as well. So if you are female and listening to this at Untuck It, you might want to check it out. Go check it out. You can see their newest arrivals right now at UntuckIt.com. And guess what? If you use our promo code DLC, you'll get 20% off your entire purchase at UntuckIt.com. I love their their tagline. They say, stop hiding your shirt with your pants and your pants with your shirt. See? too short and too long. Yeah. Uh you can also visit one of Untuckets over 25 retail locations across the country, but uh use our promo code over at untucket.com u n t u c k i t.com use our promo code DLC, you'll get yourself 20% off in savings. com. your solution to perfecting casual. Get the day, get the day. Right now, right now Eric, I'm so glad to have you here because we can talk board games. Uh, you are one of my board gaming gurus. I have been listening to the dice tower for many years and listening to your recommendations and taking many of them to heart. Uh, I'm so curious what has been hitting your table lately, what you can talk about.
0: Sure. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to uh, the Labyrinth Games and Puzzle Shop in D.C. this week uh, for their, their weekly game night. We were there for spring break and, and got to drop in and, and play in a friendly local gaming store that I love to visit. And one of the games that hit the table is Decrypto, uh, which is from Yellow Games. Uh, this is in the, the vein of code names. This is a word game where you've got uh, two teams and each of them is looking at a uh, an array of four words. So you have a word in the number one slot, the number two slot, three slot, four slot. And then each round of the game, one person is going to try and get their team to guess a three-digit code. Those digits are represented by those words that I just talked about. So you might have three, one, four on this card, and only that the, the code giver is, is, uh, is looking at that card. And they have to give clues to get their team to guess the number three word, the number one word, then the number four word but they don't want to be too obvious about it because the other team is also hearing this and they get to guess first. And if the, the words never change, the ones in the in the array never change. And so if you give words, word clues that are too close to each other that follow the same line, like we had toilet was one of our words and we said flush and we said valve, and that sort of led the other team to thinking, well, that that has something to do with toilets. So anytime a waterworks word or a plumbing word came along, they think, well, that's word number four because we know it has something to do with toilets. That was a mistake on our part. But if you think of weird associations, um, at one point we had Africa as one of our words and we had not a country as one of our clues, but we also mm. had Toto as one of our <laughs> clues. Um, and And while we're looking at the at the word, and thinking, oh yeah, of course, that clue matches with that word, no problem. The other team doesn't necessarily make that connection, because they're not seeing our words. Um, it's a very interesting, cerebral game. This, this is along the lines of code names, as I said, or Password, the classic game. Um, but this is my kind of jam. I really like Decrypto, uh, so I really enjoyed that one.
1: I have to agree, I loved playing Decrypto, and uh, I actually... At the, I played this at the uh, aforementioned uh, Rich Summers birthday party. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, we got we played this. I don't know, five times in a row, six times in a row with mm-hmm. the same teams, and it got so cutthroat and so. Uh, I think we got to a really high level of play because everybody figured out just how oblique you had to be with these clues. And yeah, it, it is you, – you, we got to the point where – because we were the, you know, the same teams over and over and over. We got to the point where we would intentionally lay the groundwork for them thinking the word was one thing so that we could swerve it later. Yeah. And it, it is – So it's so, so fun. But I think this yeah. is one that I really – I only played it in a situation where there were a lot of people playing, and I think I would only want to play it that way. I I can't imagine playing it with a small group.
0: I think we played it with uh, three or four on each side. Um, Of course, we also played the advanced
1: mode where you have a
0: 10-year-old in the mix. (laughs) That's a bit of a
1: handicap. (laughs) I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, it is it is a game that is easy to recommend f- from my perspective. If, if you have a uh, you know a large group of people that want to play something and you're willing to engage and think about it, it is so fun. It is really good. And it's called Decrypto, and yes. from Yellow. Yeah. Uh, what else have you been playing?
0: Uh, I got to play a new one from Cosmos. This one just released. It's called Drop It. Um, this is a game about dropping shapes into a vertical uh, think think a Plinko board but without the little pegs in the middle. You have this sort of vertical uh, plastic slot that you're dropping these these shapes into. Uh, Each player has an array of shapes. There's uh, some parallelograms, some squares, a few circles, and you have a whole set of these things. And you also have a frame that has uh, either different colors or different shapes that you are not supposed to touch with that shape. Uh, Each turn you're going to grab one of these these shapes and drop it into the array, and uh, if you, say, drop a square and it touches one of the frame pieces that say no squares, well, then you're not going to score any points. If you end up touching any of your color, you're not going to score any points. If you end up touching the same shape, you're not going to score any points. But if you manage to avoid all of these things, you then score based on how high your shape has gone. If you manage to hit certain targets, you're going to score bonus points. And the higher this whole stack goes, the more points it's worth. And once everyone has done their whole grouping of, of shapes, whoever scores the most points wins. Um, it this one's a, a good fun, certainly very easy to explain game. My youngest, I have a six year old and a ten year old. My my six year old found it a little frustrating because he would often make a decision, not think it through all the way, and end up scoring zero more often than not. But there is a way you can handicap it. There's sort of a mulligan token that you can toss away. So we just gave more of those tokens to him, so he could still score if he made a mistake. Uh, he ended up liking future rounds more than the first round. You found it a little frustrating at first, but but as a family game, this one's this one's a hit, I think, and is going to see a lot of play. It also has good table presence as it sticks up off the table, and people are dropping the shapes, and uh, it's you know real visceral feel as you are dropping these things in. It's called Drop It from Cosmic.
1: Yeah, I think I saw your uh, your Instagram or your your Twitter picture of, of playing it. Yeah. It looked very striking. I was like, "Ooh, that looks cool! I could get yeah. into that." Yeah.
0: Um, what else? What else you've been playing? Uh, last but not least for me, uh, "Stop Thief" is a game from Restoration Games. They they brought it back. It was the like 1979 game that they have brought back using app integration. It's a, a hide and seek game um, where you're you're chasing a thief around the board. And the basic version is a competitive game. You're you're sort of racing the other investigators to try and find this hidden uh, thief. But there is, thanks to an app update, a cooperative mode to stop thief, in which you are trying to get the I forget what who they call it. Um, it's it's basically a riff off of Danny Ocean. Um, <clears throat> it's it's the the group of seven of these of these bad guys, and you have to track them down. Every time you catch them they run away to spaces on the board sort of silently. And then you have to sort of get onto their trail again and find where they are. Um, and as every time they hit a, uh, a crime space, they're going to steal some money. And you think you start with 50,000. Once the money is gone, you've lost. Or if they hit 10 different spots around the board, you've lost. Um, it costs money to get extra clues. It costs money every time you make a mistake. Um, so you, you want to make arrests judiciously, um, but you still need to do so in order to narrow down the possibilities to where these thieves are. Um, I, I found this to be fascinating. Uh, it, it's it's this cooperative deduction exercise. <laughs> um, where could they be? What what six spaces could they be at this point? How do we narrow that down do we split up do we all try and head into the same building i i love stop thief to begin with but this is even better i i love playing this with the family the cooperative version of
1: stop thief is it a is it an expansion to stop thief or a completely different game
0: it it's basically it's a free update it's a free uh, expansion because it's huh. an up, it's just an update to the app that that runs the game um, oh right! You just you just switch modes, and now you're playing. It, it gives you all the rules you need to know, and and explains the rule the the uh, movement rules for the bad guys, and you're off and running. The the app does everything.
1: Very cool, very cool. Uh, Christian, how about you? you? Got any any board games you've been playing?
2: Man, it's a uh, Ameritrash favorite. Is is that uh, is that what we call these types of games? My girls love My Little Pony, and the My Little Pony movie. Is on constant, uh, you know, when traveling on the iPad, the soundtrack is on all the time. Uh, yeah. Sia's song, pretty good. It's a pretty good, pretty good single she put out on that. The whole soundtrack, not bad. Uh, push comes to shove in terms of things you could be listening to with young kids. So we also have Candyland, My Little Pony, the movie, which is, it's Candyland. It's just Candyland. The same game. You're flipping little cards over and moving your, pieces up the deck no strategy or skill involved to it other than just the random you know flipping over of, of tiles but the only reason I put it down I think to mention it is that uh, my youngest who's you know not quite three we were playing and she goes she's like dad why is this called Candyland? There's no candy. It should be called <laughs> My Little Pony Land. <laughs> we thought that yep, was a pretty yeah. astute observation, and I had to then explain corporate branding and why. <laughs> yeah. But the game we're playing is, is the, the rule set of Candyland, and they've now put this <laughs> property on it. Uh, and I explained it in, you know, two and a half year old terms. And then my older, who's five, she looked at me and she's like, well, they still could have put some candy on it. Pinkie Pie loves candy. It should be Pinkie Pie's Candyland, the game. And I was like, there you go.
1: <laughs> and that's when your daughter got hired by the folks from Mattel or whatever. Now, now we're making yes, money. Um, yeah.
2: But if, 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 if you, know, you have young kids that like the franchise, um, a lot of these board games that we grew up on, uh, potentially you know, crappy air quote, board games but they have branded versions of them Of them, some better than worse uh i know listeners were tweeting at me to pick up the mario kart monopoly which i guess changes yes. the
0: rule set fairly significantly eric have you guys played it uh, i haven't played the mario kart i've played uh monopoly gamer which feels very much like mario party uh it, it's it's goofy fun um and i am interested in the mario kart version that's that's coming soon i think yeah it's either so- out or soon but that that will
2: probably be my next foray into this um you know the Candyland one is just Candyland with a, a rebranding and figurines from the Pony, My Little Pony movie. But uh, it's interesting, right? Because these games have been around for so long, and there's every iteration of all of them now. It's like Risk, Game of Thrones, or Monopoly—every property that's ever been popular for a day. Um, but uh, my girls <laughs> did like. Did you
1: it, did you did you purchase this for yourself or was it a gift?
2: It was a gift. I think uh, I don't want to say who I think like a gift. I think it's for my folks. But uh, my girls love it. I, I mean, I would no, have no, it, had I known, we play it a lot, and it. They're engaged and having fun, and we're not. You know, there are far worse things that that kids can get into and be obsessed with. <laughs>
0: sure. I, I don't know. Have you two discussed the uh, scythe reskin of My Little Pony? My Little Scythe?
1: <laughs> Did they, no, I'm I'm not even aware that is this official or is this a fan created. Uh, reskinning of scythe this is this
0: is totally a fan i, I doubt they could even get the license from hasbro <laughs> but uh, it it is a fan reskin if you visit board game geek and and Amazing. look at scythe um they someone decided i think someone and his daughter decided <laughs> to reskin scythe and it, it's basically the same rule set but in the the world of what is it, equestria or eternia or wherever it is canter um,
2: equestria yeah i mean how yeah, deep do you want to go
0: <laughs> i i not that deep, but it is um it is in that world and and sort of replaces some of the battle aspects of scythe with, with much more friendship <laughs> magic. Will my daughter ask the same question though, she go,
2: why is this called scythe when it, it you know it, <laughs> yeah. it's just a rebranding? It,
0: it's called My Little Scythe. I'm not sure. <laughs> my little That's scythe. Awesome. I, I,
1: I I mean, want, Christian, I want you to play that with your daughter so bad so bad i i don't know i mean scythe i don't quite scythe just isn't, isn't that even that complicated to explain it seems complicated when you unpack it but it's really not that complicated i think they could probably do it i think if
2: there are like <laughs> yeah I, I need to look into this because it depends on how deep it goes I, I need to see if i can get figures right like that's the that's the key is what kind of how much you um, just
1: sub out, out for uh for normal,
0: you, yeah, toys you know are you saying you don't already have tons of little ponies around the house that you yeah can
1: exactly
2: um, i mean to find tons <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> amazing um, a few things I could bring up but I, I want to talk a little bit about because we kind of talked to crypto and and party games and uh, a game called Take It Easy that I played for the first time not too long ago um, which is basically what if a gamer uh, invented bingo <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, it's bingo but done with strategy and it's fascinating I found it fascinating basically uh, everybody that's playing has the same uh, board, which is sort of a hexagon, I believe, and uh, a series of tiles. And they everybody has exactly the same tiles. And uh, somebody draws those tiles out of a bag, and, like you would with Bingo, and calls out the next one to put into play. And you start placing those tiles on your own personal game board. And you can place them anywhere you want. And everybody has the option of placing them anywhere on their board. And then you're as you go, each of these tiles has a series of different pipes, the pictures of pipes on them, that have different numerical score values, point values on them. And your goal, as more tiles are called and you're able to place more tiles on your board, is to create connecting lines between these uh, with these pipes. And so you have to create the same pipe, the same colored pipe has to move from one end of your board to another end of your board in order for you to score its point value. So clearly you're trying to uh, create as many of these, uh, you know, pipes from one end to another as possible. And you're trying to do it with the highest point value pipes you can, but you get yourself into a situation because there are multiple pipes on each tile where You are blocking yourself from a score or you're trying to set up something that you're not really sure what's coming next, if a a tile is going to come out of the bag. And it's fascinating because at the end, everybody tallies up the scores based on how many, you you know, complete pipes they've managed to make. And you all started with the same information. You all had exactly the same potential at the beginning And some people will have wildly better scores than others. (laughs) It's really, really fun and an easy, simple, simple game to play, but actually has a lot of fun decision-making to be made, unlike Bingo, which is like monkey see, monkey do. You said the B4, I click B4, we're moving on. This is actually, I got to make strategic decisions on, you know, where to place my tiles and what I'm trying to hope to create and what I'm willing to block myself in and all that stuff. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, the uh, fact that you can come come up with a totally different board based on this same sequence of tiles. Everybody's playing the same sequence, but then one tile will come up and half the room says, oh, that's exactly what I needed. And the other half goes,
1: no, yeah, totally messes me up. Yeah, it's 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 so fascinating because we all started with the same given information. And yet, you know, you get such such crazy variable in, in how well people manage to make it happen. Um, again, that's called take it easy. Uh, it's a game that's easy for me to recommend for for a group, uh, especially people that don't think they're into strategic games because it doesn't. It's just simple. You just you don't even need to explain how to play it. You just start. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. great. Um, and I'll say one more that I'll bring up. I haven't talked about this game. Uh, I played it way back at Board Game Geek Con, and I've been wanting to talk about it for a while. But I'm I'm want to bring it up specifically because we have Eric here, and I don't. I'm curious if you've played Turf Master before. Um, it's an older game, but when I played a BGG Con, and it absolutely bowled me over, uh, I tend to like racing games. I like Formula D. I like Downforce. Um, and Turfmaster is a racing game b- based on horse racing, which I'm totally not interested in and <laughs> almost didn't want to even play this game. But the people I was hanging out with all wanted to play it, and I was like, sure, let's play it. And it it com- it was the biggest surprise from that convention for me. It was a big so much fun. I played it since then. I was, I was shocked that the horse racing game would be fun. And the reason why it's fun is because the mechanics or the mechanisms in the game are so fascinating. Basically, what happens is every turn you move your little horsey and your little horsey rider in this horse racing uh, loop lap. You know, you're trying to get around the lap first and, and win the horse race. Uh, and you move in alternating turns by either playing a card or rolling a dice. And uh, the the die will be what everybody moves, and the card is from your hand of cards, but everybody starts with the same deck of, of cards. You shuffle them, so you don't know what you're going to have in your hand, but everybody has the same grouping of, of, of moves. And what's so fascinating about Turfmaster is that the... The horses or the the players at the front of the pack have certain handicaps on them. So they aren't able to go as many spaces as the people in the back of the pack. They can be limited in that way. You have certain cards in your hands that let you break those rules, but those cards are limited and you need to know when to use them. So just getting to the front of the pack and staying there is rarely a good idea because you will be screwed by the other players who can zip past you at any point because you are limited in how many moves you can go. And so, as it alternates between a dice roll that one player rolls and everybody moves that number, it's it's actually two dice that you roll, and the, the player has the decision of having it be the sum total of both dice at the same time or one or the other of the dice. So... If the player who's rolling the dice isn't at the front of the pack and rolls like a high number like 11 and the people at the front of the pack are handicapped and can't go any more than eight spaces, he can say, oh, we're going going 11 spaces now. And everybody but the first two or three people in the pack get to move that number of spaces. So – It feels like a very, um, arbitrary limiter to prevent the snowballing of a, of a lead player. But in practice, the way it works out is that you tend to do this race exactly how actual horse racing is done, where everybody tries to stay all jumbled up in a pack until the last moment where they, you know, really try to win. And so you have these very exciting, races where everybody is jockeying for position pun acknowledged um (laughs) that uh and 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 trying to not get too far ahead and sort of you know stay in the pack and not not block another player not or i mean not get blocked by another player and then at the end you burn all your cool cards and you try to blast out in front and try to make it happen meanwhile everybody is trying to screw each other and it is just Amazing fun for a genre that I'm just I mean, not a genre, but a um, a theme that I'm not particularly interested in. But the the way that it so effectively represents the theme makes me interested in it. It's incredible. Have you played Turf Master? I haven't played
0: Turf Master. I've played a few other horse racing games, but they tend to focus on the the betting aspect. of of this thing and then this this seems a lot more like a a, more like a race game more like formula d or yeah uh another uh you know racing adventure it sounds interesting i'd like to check it out
1: it's really cool i mean i love formula d i've played it a lot Uh, christian you've played it with me Uh, but formula d is one of those ones where if you get out ahead and you manage to stay out ahead you can be out ahead through the whole game and Mm -hmm. You just cannot do that with Turf you will, you will lose if you get out ahead too early. Uh, and it's a fascinating example of, of how game mechanisms can force you to play like actual people in that situation would. Yeah. All right. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. We do have our parting gift coming up, for uh, so stick around for that. But Eric Summerer, what a delight it has been having you on the show. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Oh, you bet. It's been a blast.
1: Great. I'm, I'm such a fan, and it's been great to geek out with you. But uh, tell people where they can follow you and all the things you do online.
0: Oh, well, uh, the Dice Tower is, is where you'll find my gaming stuff. That's at Dicetower.com. You can also search for me on Audible. Just search for Eric Michael Summerer, and you'll find, the like you said, countless audiobooks uh, in all sorts of genres
1: uh, that I've read. Awesome. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week?
2: I'm going to be paying a visit to uh, St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis later this week. And I love the work they do and support them continually. And uh, if you are looking for a, a charitable cause to, to, to take up, um, I could recommend St. Jude very easily. And look into them. Helping kids beat cancer is um, something everybody can get behind, I feel like, no matter your political affiliation or... Thoughts on just about anything. I think that's one thing that we can all agree on, and I'm excited to go and, and meet with, um, you know, some of the hardworking folks there and connect with some of those families. So that will be kind of the back half of my week, and I'll, I'll talk more about that experience uh, next week and on future shows. And then uh, I'm trying to think. We have new Department of Parentings coming out this week, and there'll be a new ALTMM dropping on Tuesday as well on the Patreon feed. And it goes out public on Friday uh, on the Unaformed Opinions podcast feed. So you can find those things there. Jeff, what about you?
1: Well, I have my usual shows. You can listen to the Slash Filmcast over at SlashFilmcast.com. Uh, an interesting episode is coming out this week. We recorded it early, and it's kind of – Uh, A little bit deeper discussion about that whole crazy meme moment that I had uh, that I talked about a little bit last week. And also um, Dave talks about his vacation. So it's a it's a an an interesting episode. But we also talk about uh, a thing that I'll bring up as my parting gift this week. And then next week, of course, we have the Avengers to talk about. So definitely check out Slash Filmcast because we'll be uh, we'll have a lot to talk about there. Uh, and We Have Concerns is the comedy science show that I do over at wehaveconcerns.com. I encourage you to check that out as well. Uh, but this week mostly will be uh, me having a, a baby because um, uh, we, we have our, our C-section scheduled for Tuesday. Oh boy. So that's – yeah, that's, it's, it's all happening.
2: And we're still doing uh, a show next week though, right? I mean the show must go on. Yeah.
1: Well. Show must go on uh, that's why I scheduled it on a Tuesday, so I have lots of of, right. of, of time there <laughs> no uh I will not have played anything. It will be jeff uh. Jeff played the get it, Did I Get Any Sleep game? You have um, a Switch. That's... You have a Switch. Come on. I do have a Switch. Yeah. Switch is made for uh, hospital uh, waiting rooms, I guess. Yeah, it's Just it's not some, bad.
2: Build some Labo. Build some Labo while you wait. <laughs>
1: Just, I'm going to need some <laughs> space over here, please. I need to build a Labo.
2: I'm sorry, babe. We need a new crib. Don't have that. But I do have this fishing rod.
1: <laughs> yeah. I have this little piano. How about that? Uh, all right. Um, let us get to our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this
0: week.
1: Give us a party gift. This is gift. Eric, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week?
0: Yeah, I mean Star Trek Discovery. I I stayed away from it. I was afraid of the paywall, but I'm in. I'm like four episodes in, and I'm 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 in for this journey all the way. Star Trek Discovery, great show.
1: I know that you're a huge Star Trek fan. This is living up.
0: Uh, yeah so far it is it is a modern show in the star trek universe it has intrigue it has compelling characters it is interesting stuff and i love the opening credit sequence
1: awesome star trek discovery christian how about you? you got a parting gift
2: retro games uh i visited my folks when i was out and about here the last little bit and um you know how your parents say they'll keep your stuff for you in the attic when you go to college or whatever and then the, the anecdote is always they threw it away, and that's when you lost your Superman, number, your Action Comics number one or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Bless my parents' heart, man. They kept it. They kept it, and they kept it, and they kept it. Do you
1: have Action Comics number one?
2: Yeah. Well, that that's next week's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I'm done with this show, so F you and F you. <laughs> um, no, but I, I picked up – I finally brought home a, a not quite all but a big chunk of my old retro games. And I know I've talked about playing old games on this show. But, um, you know, we talked, Jeff, earlier on the show, like God of War, and that's the baseline for our kids these days. But I do think that, as, as Eric mentioned, these, you know, some of these iOS and mobile games and games like Celeste, too, that make this aesthetic as a choice. Um, I think some of these old games really hold up, and I'm excited to, to dive in. Some of them won't be. I have, uh, Texas Ground Zero on Sega CD I brought home, mint (laughs) in box. Uh, (laughs) uh, I also tweeted at Insomniac Games that I have my Spider-Man for Sega CD. And I, I was willing to let them play mine if they would let me play theirs. All <laughs> Which, right. Yeah, there you go. So far, so far no date scheduled. But, uh, you know, en- embrace the nostalgia, I say, as I wear my Blink 182 shirt as we do this. Um, getting old, there's a lot of bad stuff about it as I plucked hairs from my earlobes earlier today. <laughs> but, uh, there's some fun stuff too. And, and retro gaming, it's, it's great because you know the games that are great and you get to go experience them again. And like you said, Eric, for Super Metroid, Especially a lot of these games for me, you know, didn't get remastered or whatever. It's been 15 years, 20 years since I've experienced them, and it's really cool to go back and play Jurassic Park on Genesis and see Mm. what blew me away all those years ago and kind of what it's influenced since then. So Retro Games, check them
1: out. Cool we got a listener suggested parting gift. this comes from Mad's Olsen. he says, "Hey guys, love the show been a stable listener for about two years and I'm still enjoying it thoroughly without of the way, my parting gift is to watch the sci-fi series The Expanse based on the book series with the same name It's a great hardcore science fiction show set 200 to 300 years in the future It's amazing, so I can't recommend it enough. Kind regards from Denmark That's
2: where Thanks, Mads
1: from. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Denmark? Yeah.
2: Also, oh. a shout-out, then, to The Midnight.
1: Uh, is Mi- the Midnight from D- Denmark? Uh,
2: Tim is from Denmark. I did not know Ooh, that. But was, it's was public now. Uh, oh. I love Danes, yeah. And I performed. I did a show not too long ago with the uh, last comic standing Danish winner.
1: Anyway, good anyway The Expanse, everybody. The Expanse, uh, very cool show, uh, very cool sci-fi show. Another uh, Star Trek Discovery and Expanse, I think, are sort of the prime uh, – uh, sci-fi shows right now, very very cool also stuff. The Little
2: Mermaid, a Danish tale.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you want to send us a parting gift, you don't have to be Danish. You can be from anywhere, and you can send it to DLCfeedback at gmail.com My parting gift is Wild Wild Country, a docu series on Netflix now that really blew me away. It is crazy. I, I had no idea. It, it it's all about a religious sect in the eighties, early eighties in Oregon. That evidently was national news at that time, and you'd think that there would be some lingering awareness of it on my part or other people's part. My, my wife and I were couldn't believe we'd never heard of this thing because evidently it was huge national news. Like there's Ted Koppel and, and Peter Jennings and uh, Johnny Carson are talking about it in the show. There's footage of them all talking about it. Huh. It's like, but nobody remembers it, I guess? Uh, But it is a fascinating tale, twists and turns, things just bizarre and wild and interesting. Really recommend watching Wild Wild Country on Netflix. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Eric Summer and Christian Spicer. Thanks to all the folks in our chat room that hung out with us and put up with some technical difficulties <laughs> today. We appreciate that. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. Uh, thanks to all of you who listen to the show and download the show. We do appreciate it. We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.